The Sports Career Podcast, episode 204. What qualities do you need to be a general manager at a football club? Hello Sports Achiever and welcome back to tuning in to another episode of the Sports Crib Podcast. I'm your host Ed Bowers. Now this podcast episode is brought to you by ConvertKit. Now ConvertKit is an email system tool I use with regards to building my audience but also sending emails with regards to promoting my podcast episodes each week. And if you have a blog or you want to build an audience, check out ConvertKit because it's a fantastic tool to help you grow your audience, grow your niche of the area that you're writing about, doing videos about, or even like me doing a podcast show. So if you want to learn more about ConvertKit and how you can really build an audience online through like an email list, check out ConvertKit and go to education2sport forward slash resource page. Now, as always, my goal each week is to provide you a special guest who can inspire and encourage you to be the best version of yourself particularly if you have an interest in pursuing a career in the football industry. I really do hope that this episode can support you with regards to your sports career development, interests and needs. Now, getting back to today's show, this week's special guest is Elise LeHugh. Elise is the general manager of Sky Blue FC, which is a professional women's football team, where she specialises in the operations of the club. For that reason, it's such a privilege to have Elise as a special guest on the show. And that's when today's episode, Elise will share her sports career journey and explain to you the qualities you need if you have that desire to be a GM at a football club. Elise, it's such a pleasure to have you on the podcast show. Please do share to listeners your sports career journey. When did it all start? Oh, Ed, well, thanks for having me on, first of all. And um Wow, I've got to really rewind the reel here, the camera reel going back. Um, uh, I started in 08, so I would say I um, I, I knew women's pro soccer was coming back. Um, they called it Women's Soccer Initiative 2 back then. That's a fun fact. Um, that was the uh, workings up to w- what became WPS, essentially. And I knew there was going to be a team in Chicago. They had a really basic and um, what we can only describe now as sort of pathetic website. It was like one page that said it was, Chicago Professional Women's Soccer LLC or something like that. So I just used to stalk that page every day. I was just waiting for contact info. There was no contact info on there. And finally, one day, an email address or something came up on the page. So obviously, I was I was probably the first human being to use that email address ever. Um, and I reached out and said, hey, you know, I, I have an MBA, but this is what I want to do. Um, can I come just work for free? Do you have anything for me to do? And um, I was lucky I got a call from then general manager, Marsha McDermott. And uh, I guess the rest is history from there. So that was my, uh, my, my foot in the door was stalking the Chicago, became the Chicago Red Stars. And that's where I started my career. I'm really sorry that I've got to go back in time really quickly. What do you do for your MBA and how has it supported you now reflecting yeah, I think I'm just a, I'm a lifelong learner. Um, I'm a bit, a bit of a geek. I wouldn't say I'm a good student, but I like doing it. Um, 
you know, like a C average student. I just, you know, scraped by, but I really like learning the material. So um, I think it was more, I just didn't fully know what I wanted to do. At that point, I, I got a degree in international business. So I thought I was going to work for an international company and live abroad. Um, but I had an opportunity to, to go get my MBA. Um, and I could be a graduate assistant. So I essentially was an assistant coach for the women's soccer team that I had played for at St. Ambrose University in, in Davenport, Iowa. So I jumped at that opportunity to just sort of prolong having to go to the working world and um, get my MBA. And I got to coach soccer. And I actually there thought I was going to go into coaching for, for about a minute. Um, I, I enjoyed the pathway. I coached, obviously, at the college level. Um, I was coaching a high school team. I took on a you know, like a group of 12 year old girls, which was the hardest thing I've ever done. Oh, they're, they're a lot of work. Um, so I learned some life skills through all of that coaching and started getting my coaching licenses. Um, and so I, I actually thought I maybe was going to be on a coaching pathway for a minute there, but that's, that's where essentially I ended up getting my MBA. Just with regards to your coaching, because when I was very young, I was doing a lot of tennis coaching and I was doing six year old kids. And I know that sort of feeling just from a skill set perspective, what did you learn from that coaching experience, which have supported you in a business environment? I think you just start with leadership, right? When you're the coach, you're leading the group, whether it's, um, you know, college athletes, which have their own set of life issues that are going on in the background and they're all different and everybody's coming of age and there's a lot of different maturity levels at, at the college level, um, all the way down to, as I mentioned, 12 year olds, which is a whole different kettle of fish entirely. So. Um, and then high school. So I really, at one point, um, I also took on Sunday refereeing of AYSO eight-year-olds, which was, a whole, again, another life experience that, I, you know, from 7 a.m. to 3 p.m., I was just refereeing um, eight-year-olds all day long. Um, but part of the gig was that you also had to do their warm-ups for both teams and referee the game. So it was hysterical. So at one point, I was, and then I started a nonprofit. So I was also coaching there. So um, it's crazy to think back of all the, the side gigs I was doing, but, um, uh, you know, throughout my career in the, in the coaching realm, but there was one period of time where I was essentially coaching, you know, sort of eight year olds all the way up to the, the college level, um, and seeing that full scope. So I, you know, I would just start with the leadership. You're, you're the one in charge of the whole group and you've got to manage the personalities and the one that's off crying and the ones that want to play all the time. And, um, it's, it's just a lot of personalities to manage, but I, I, you know, think that experience was invaluable to me to look at a team setting, not as a player, which I had done that my whole life, but to actually look at it from the other side and see the coach's perspective. Now, obviously I wasn't a professional coach, but, you know, to be able to see that perspective and the work that it takes, the work you have to put into it and the sort of interpersonal relationship that you have to have with every single player. And it probably is going to look different for every player, but on the surface, your relationships have to look the same across the board. And I think that's a really nuanced thing that doesn't get enough credit um, for coaches that that personal relationship that you have to have with every player is probably different, but you have to look like you're treating them all the same. You have to be treating them the same on the surface and, and make sure that you're keeping that cohesiveness as a team. Just really quickly, do you mirror that with regards to, let's say, sponsors or businesses in the football industry having that meaningful relationship, but then also making sure you're running the ship, meaning the club, uh, effectively this is really interesting conversation so I'm just intrigued <laughs> well I, I appreciate that um, I, I love talking business as well so it's good for me but yeah every every sponsorship and I, I tend to not use that word as much anymore because I, I it's a relationship it's not um, 
it's not the just hand dollars over and here's the cookie cutter package anymore. It's really, there are so many opportunities for where a company can spend their marketing dollars and how they can reach their target demographic or their target audience. So if they choose us, if they choose women's soccer or sky blue in particular, um, that's sort of an honor because they have a lot of options out there. There are a lot of sports teams that they could choose or even not even looking at sports. There's a variety of sort of areas, digital and traditional media. There's so many ways you can spend your marketing dollars. So for us to get those dollars from somebody, um, it's a real honor. It's a privilege. And that's a relationship. And you want to build a really meaningful, important relationship with them um, and get to know them and make sure that we are nimble to their needs, that if they adjust along the way, that you have a good enough relationship with them, that you're able to handle that and to be able to shift and pivot. So yeah, I, I think it relationship, community, I use that word a lot um, as I guide Sky Blue. I think it's all part of that process that you, you want to get beyond just something being transactional. It's got to be a relationship or why do it? You know, transactions aren't as fun. Like relationships are fun and being able to build that, but transactions are just kind of cut and dry. So I try to avoid those as, as much as possible. Man, I really do hope the listeners are listening well, because this, what you're talking about also relates to this word networking, which my show is all about helping graduates get their foot in the door, which you mentioned right from the start of your career. So take those points on board and mirror it. Just going back to those core quality skills, uh, one of them you said you took action. Can you just explain why it's important for graduates or students to take action? Like you said, you're the first person to probably write that email on that website page. Can you just explain why that's important? Because opportunities won't come to you. You have to go to it. That makes sense. Yeah. um, You know, I think... I think a lot of people might be surprised by this because even when my friends ask me, they're surprised that somebody asked me the other day, Oh, hasn't so-and-so team reached out to you or hasn't this expansion team asked you to go work there based on, and I'm like, absolutely not. Like I've never been asked to go work a job. And I think some people will find that surprising um, and not to be boastful about what I've done, but I've just been in the women's game for so long. You'd think a lot of people would be asking me to come work for them. They don't like, and I, I don't, I can't explain why. Um, but that's the reality. So if you think you're just coming out of college and people are going to be knocking at your door because you got a degree, you're out of your mind. This is, it's, it's the work that you put in. Your dream is, is your thing to hold and to go after. And um, I just read today, actually, and I, I loved this, that don't call it a dream, call it a plan, you know? And I like that. It's, that feels like something actionable. It's not just, oh, I'm dreaming of doing this, but it's like, this is my plan. I'm going to be a GM. I'm going to go after it. And there's a pathway to do that. Well, I think that was my approach was that um, I knew nothing was going to just fall in my lap or come easy to me just because I had an MBA. Nobody cares. So many people have that now. Um, It doesn't differentiate you if you have a master's degree anymore. Um, You have to set yourself apart um, through your desire and your willingness and your work ethic. So um, absolutely. I think, and I'm sorry to even say it now as I'm approaching 40, but I don't have people knocking down my door to give me a job. I have to go after every job I've ever wanted. Um, or desired. And and that's going to be just something I think that most people have to do throughout their career. So you've got to go after what you want to go after. Otherwise, you're, you're just going to get, you know, if you don't know where you're going, any road's going to take you there, so to speak. So you've got to, you know, put your plan in place and go after it. Absolutely. And just with regards to this word volunteering, it's on my podcast quite a lot. And I try and ask my guests, could you just decode this? Because it's a bit of a buzz phrase. How do you define volunteering? And what benefits have you had with regards to your career? There's certainly been a shift in sort of internships that I've seen over the last decade. And this, um, you know, there's a a whole 
series of thought that, you know, interns should be paid, that it's labor um, and they should be paid for that labor and should be doing the work. Um, I guess I, I came from the school of volunteerism. Um, I never really called it an internship because I was probably like 27 years old at that point. So, it, you know, it's like it just felt uncool to be a 27 year old intern. So I just said I was volunteering. Um, and I had never had an internship in my life. I did not follow a traditional, like, this is how you get into the sports industry pathway. I don't have that background at all. I didn't come from a, a school with a sports management degree. I didn't know what you were supposed to do. So if you, anybody looks at a traditional pathway, I'm not it. Um, and I'm not saying there's one way that's right or wrong. I'm just saying there's a lot of different ways that you can get here. Um, so don't worry if you didn't get a sports degree or haven't been on that uh, that particular pathway. Um, I think there's there's a lot of different ways that you can uh, get to the finish line. Absolutely. And just getting back to today's podcast chat, which is all about the qualities to be a GM at a football club. In your opinion, what are there? I know you've mentioned leadership, but what other few that have supported you, which you might have developed during that position as well? Yeah, I mean, I, I have to always go back to my first mentor, Marsha McDermott. She was the general manager of the Chicago Red Stars when I came in. And that first day I came in for a live interview, um, I sat across from her and she asked me what I wanted to do with my career. And I said, I would like your job. Um, probably a bold statement at the time. Luckily, it worked out for me. Um, in the end, she, uh, I didn't realize it then, but certainly many years later, I looked back and went, oh. Marsha was moving me around department to department so that I could learn all facets of what being a GM looks like. Um, she was unique in her GM role because she had a, you know, some of the business background, um, but she also was a championship coach. Um, she had coached the Carolina Courage and WSA, won a championship there, and then moved to the business side. So I looked to her as sort of this model of somebody that has the technical expertise and the coaching leadership, but also was very smart in the business side. Um, She's way ahead of me tactically, and I'm fair to admit that. I hope one day I'm moving beyond her on the business side, um, which you might argue with me on that. But um, uh, I think seeing somebody like her that encompassed so such a broad realm that you didn't have to necessarily be bucketed into just the business side or just the technical, tactical side, that you could encompass a variety of those things. And I hope that I'm showing you can do that at Sky Blue because I do oversee the front office. I'm in charge of our revenue and our books. Um, but I also oversee all of our coaches and I oversee the technical side and I have a hand in what the roster looks like. Um, it's exciting. What a fun job. I get to change what I do every day. It's a little bit different. Um, I like that. It's probably a little overwhelming at some point. And as we continue to grow and more professionalize the club, we're going to have to break out these roles at some point. And I'm going to have to begrudgingly sort of let somebody else slide into one of these roles and take over, which I, you know, I think I'll be happy to do at that point. Um, but there's a lot of different ways that you can look at what a GM does. And that's what I've also to told to young people that say, oh, I want to be a GM. And I say, okay, let's break this down. Do you want to do the technical side or do you want to do the business side? You're looking to kind of do both of it um, because a lot of different sports teams use those labels differently. Um, so yeah, Marsha is always the example that I look back to and I haven't had to look very far beyond her because she encompassed sort of this whole realm. And I, I certainly have tried to emulate that as I've gone on in my career. So would you say the role's a bit like a conductor with an orchestra? You're sort of bringing all those instruments together for the final result. Is that a good metaphor to relate to the role? Yeah, I always said I was the one holding the sticks and I had to play all the instruments. There was many years where it's like I'm 
trying to drive the, you know, I'm out here conducting. I'm also picking up the flute and like the tuba and having to do the whole thing. Um, I'm lucky now I'm surrounded by such an incredible staff that I feel a little more like I'm conducting, but I'm also a very hands-on leader. I, I've done the position. So I, I always feel like I'm never asking my staff to do something I haven't done. I've made the cold calls. I've written the press releases. I've done the social media. You know, I've had a hand and, and that's just by by design. It's by what I like to do. I like to dabble in a lot of different areas. As I mentioned, I like to learn and grow and continue to evolve. I'm still learning. There's a lot of things I'm still learning. Um, but I'm surrounded by a really fantastic staff here at Sky Blue. So I feel like I can do a little more conducting now, which is nice. Also, I just want to follow up of having a mentor. You mentioned it just now, and it's something that I invested so early on. It sort of relieved any pressure mind, as I mentioned on my podcast show with John Amici and Chris Ducker. May I ask, like, for you to give advice of how a mentor has benefited you? I know you've given a little snapshot, but for people listening in, for me, it was just like great to have a role model you can learn from without trying to reinvent the wheel. Was that the same for you of why you decided to have that mentor early on in your career? Yeah, I never decided to have a mentor. I only realized it years later, right? Like, and it's really funny now because Marsha is actually the technical advisor for Sky Blue. So we've come a long way where now I'm hiring her, um, which is really uh, just a a fun part of the process. But no, I didn't know I had a mentor. I didn't even know what the word was. I'm going to be honest. I, I didn't come from a traditional school of sports background or even like these concepts of get a mentor. I didn't know any of that. I was winging it. I probably was still winging it in a lot of ways, to be fair, um, which I'm happy to admit openly. Um, so I, I I didn't know Marsha was my mentor. She just was somebody I was learning from. She was one of one of my bosses. I had a few back then. Um, and I could look to her and and just was learning as much as I could, but I didn't realize it at the time. I wasn't sitting there going, oh, I need to watch Marsha really closely because you know, I want to take all, I didn't even know. I was just working. I was just working really hard. And um, I think I was trying to sponge up as much as I could from all the people around me. So um, looking back, I think it's important to have somebody that maybe is in the role that you want to do that you can look to or learn from. But at the time I, I couldn't have labeled it that way. I didn't know that's what was happening. Um, but I certainly think it's important at least to have somebody that you're, and look, during my career, that has shifted um, several times. You know, when I went to, I'll use the Seattle Storm as an example. I was a essentially a sponsorship manager and Nate Silverman was the VP of sponsorship at the Storm. And I was a sponge to him. I was taking in as much as I could because that's one area that I felt historically I hadn't learned as much in. Um, so being able to take from him. And I think there's a lot of different spaces that I look back on my career and go, yeah, I learned a ton from them. I wouldn't necessarily call them a, a mentor in the the way it's used now, but there are so many. Amber Klemek was the director of ops for the Chicago Red Stars. She's somebody I still look to and I still talk to about ops. You know, I call her up if I need something ops related. So I think there's just people that have been in my life that I've certainly looked to and have learned so much from. And I think that's the most important thing is you, you should always have somebody you're looking and learning from. And I, you know, could rattle off multiple examples right now of people that I even right now am looking to and learning from and, you know, just using in my career to help me grow. You've mentioned learning quite a lot and something I'm a bit passionate about. You probably see behind me my bookshelf with books. Um, how do you keep learning? Like, how do you keep self-educating yourself when you have the time, of course? Do you have like certain topics you're doing now to really elevate your sort of skill set or your mental from a mindset? I don't know, like what area are you still trying to improve from a personal standpoint? Yeah, I I think um, it just, 
don't even realize I'm saying learning all the time. I guess it's just a part of what it's part of what excites me, right? Like a new stuff and being able, I, I don't think you can innovate if you're not learning, right? Like if you're not able to take in new ideas and get outside your comfort zone, get into the, you know, get into more difficult spaces, um, get into the, the challenge zone, as they say. Um, I think that's where, um, and I take from a lot, I won't get too wonky on here. I know we're coming through a pandemic. I've had a lot of like personal time to dig into things that interest me way outside of sports. I think they're, to be honest, I probably take more from outside of sports than I do from within sports because I feel like I'm trying to innovate in sports. And that means you need to look to other industries and to other areas. Um, and also into personal growth areas is, is really important. So, you know, I, um, again, I won't get too wonky to everybody listening on here, but I certainly look into a lot of different things like empathy, forgiveness. Um, these are just things that I personally really care about and I think have helped me to evolve as a leader over time. I think in the beginning, when I first became a GM, I was more of the iron fist leader because that's what I thought I had to be. You know, I was like a young GM and I was probably beaten up on everybody. And I feel really bad for all the staff I had those first probably three to four years when I just was like learning on the fly and having and feeling like I really everybody was supposed to work as long hours as I was and you know out here grinding I'm such a softy now my staff has no idea how easy they have it um I've definitely evolved in, in the way I lead and um you know I, I speak about it a lot and I'm totally fine if people think I'm cheesy I talk about love a lot and trying to lead with love and more compassion and more empathy um and that goes across the board you know with with players or with the staff and I'm okay if people think that's a little bit cheesy. I think it's just a new way of leading. I think we've tried to fit women into boxes that have been traditionally masculine or into traits that have traditionally been seen as masculine. And I wish food get get away of those genderized roles because there's a lot of different ways to lead and a lot of different traits that we can bring into leadership that traditionally have not been seen as strong leadership traits. Um, so I, for me, it's just a constant process of evolving. And if I inspire somebody great, and if they think I'm wonky, wonky with uh, the things I say, I'm, I'm cool with that too. It doesn't bother me. Um, I'm learning and growing as I go, both personally and hopefully professionally along the way. Just on the spot, if you don't mind, what's your definition of leadership now? You're going to catch me probably in a moment of silence here, because I think that's a really, really big question. Um, leadership, I... I I can take that from a few different angles. One is that I'm one of the few women in this role and I recognize the responsibility that comes with that. It doesn't stress me out by any means. Um, I'm just me. I'm going to say who I am. I'm pretty honest and open. I think anybody that's listened to me talk before knows that um, I'm not trying to sugarcoat anything. Um, but from that as aspect, I, I want to certainly inspire more women. And, not, and I don't even say just young women, but other women that maybe wanted to work in sports and never had the chance or never thought they could shift careers, that they can look to me. Um, I'm just some kid from Iowa. Like I didn't, you know, there's no nepotism here. Somebody didn't like walk me into this job. Like I just worked my way through it. Um, I hope that uh, from that standpoint, that's one aspect of leadership is just to provide a, a safe space and a space for other women and people to think that they can come into this role because they see people that aren't traditionally in these roles. And I think that's really important. That's one aspect of leadership that I think is just a byproduct of me being in this space and doing what I'm doing. Um, on the other side, you know, I want to create, and, and we've used this term um, a lot, I think in, in recent months is what we call a safe space. Um, 
And, and that can be just for women at the professional sports level who don't feel like they've had the resources that they deserve or should have had for years. Um, that's one aspect of it. The other aspect of it, I think, is as we start to talk around social justice and um, Black players and how they've felt in the spaces. Um, so for me, leadership right now, as I'm like literally right now, as we're talking in um, it's September, right? September of 2020. Um, for me, leadership is creating a safe space for everybody across the staff. The players are fans. So I use this broader term of community to encompass all of us, but creating a safe space for everybody to bring all of their diversity and, you know, their uniqueness and who they are and to feel really safe within the Sky Blue family, that we create an environment where you are welcome exactly as you are. Don't change that this space is really safe for you. We want you here. Like your voice matters. We need you as part of the conversation. We're only going to innovate and create and do new things if we get all these voices at the table. So we have to create that space. So for me, I think that's what I've been sort of dwelling on a lot lately is creating a safe space. And as a leader, it's my job to, you know, really drive initiatives that are hopefully going to do that so we can really expand this community to what it should be. By the way, you're inspiring me. I hope your philosophy can inspire other teams and the industry because this is education to sport, which is all about putting education into sport. And I would love your viewpoint on this. Where do you want to see the football industry develop from an inequality perspective, like worldwide? I'd really love your thoughts um, because for me, really quickly on my podcast, I, I had young university like women going, Ed, like your show's great, but I, I can't see any like women on the show, like coaches, for example. And I was like, man, I've got to do some research. And it was tough to find those role models. So I'll just love your views on that because this is why I do this show. It inspires me because I want education out there to sort of not about Ed Bowers, not about you, Elise, but about the movement of change. So I really love your thoughts, if that's okay on that. Yeah, first I got to get uh, Freya on here then. If you need a woman coach, uh, I've got the one in NWSL here at Sky Blue. So we'll get, we'll get Freya on. Um, yeah, I've had some conversations about this recently as well with, you know, friends that work in the industry and work at high levels. And I, I constantly talk about how we need better media coverage, you know, to drive equity for, for women's sports and gender equality and equity. So I talk about that level of it. And then one of my pals was like, no, you have to change governance. Like you have to force the issue. And I'm like, this is why I'm friends with you because you're smarter than me and I can listen to you. And this is really helpful. I'm learning and growing. So now I actually have this, she opened my mind to like, no, you actually have to force change sometimes. And we're not going to be able to force the media. I mean, there's a, you can't mandate the media. I mean, that's why we're in this cultural social mess that we're in right now as it is. Um, but at the governance level and starting at the highest, you know, FIFA on down, trickle down to the, you know, um, country federations and beyond, you might have to mandate, you know, changes at that level to say, you need this level of diversity, you need this percentage of women on the board. Because if we don't get more diverse leadership across football, and I'm talking about all facets of football, not just in the women's side, which has its own issues, but across all facets of football, then it's going to be really difficult to diversify. I mean, if, if it's, as I said, in, in NWSL, We've shown that when left to our own devices, we're not very diverse. We're not, we're not good at this. 
um, as a league. We've got a pretty poor report card for women coaches, um, for women in leadership roles. And this is part of the evolution of this league and the next steps that it has to take. But we've kind of shown that we're not good at doing that on our own unless you like start to put, you know, one woman into a role like, you know, Tammy Murphy, the owner of Sky Blue, stepped in. You know, she put me in place. I put Fran in place. Like it's a trickle down effect, right, where you get more women into these roles. But you need that diversity at the table first to say, hey, I'm looking around and this looks pretty homogenous. Um, so we've got to make changes from that top level down. And I think um, without making this conversation too long, I think you actually have to implement governance structures and policies that are going to automatically create that diversity pool and sort of force it in because we've just shown that we're not really good at doing that. When we're very homogenous, we tend to do the same things and not make a lot of big changes. Just going back to really quickly, I'm really intrigued on this. As a leader, how do you cope with the curveballs, like those uncontrollables? Like you come across cool as a cucumber, Elise. You really do come really composed. So may I ask how you cope with those days or those moments when you've got to adapt during a situation which it was from an uncontrollable situation, if that makes sense? Probably a lot of sarcasm, to be honest. uh, (laughs) Those that know me know I'm a a, um, sullen jokester. you know, I'm always, uh, uh, I think, cracking a joke, but in a very sardonic way. That's just my dark humor. So uh, that's probably my coping mechanism, to be honest. Um, look, it's um, it's not, uh, it's not an easy pathway, and it's not, um, it's not been easy for me. Um, and I've been more open, I think, especially this year with the pandemic, about the mental um, aspect of this and the mental. Um, struggles that I've personally gone through. And this is only something I've sort of recently opened up with. I think because I would always hear about, you know, players' mental health and how they would struggle. And it was hard for me to relate to it because I was always just barreling through everything and like, you know, sort of being fine and just forcing yourself to be fine and getting through everything. And to your point, being cool as a cucumber on the outside. Um, But it really took a pandemic knocking me on my ass to go like, okay, now that I've struggled, I can really empathize with what you're going through. And now my approach to even to players is dramatically different. And I think the way that I relate to them is dramatically different. But I had to go through sort of a very dark place to get there mentally. Um, So it may look like it's all together on the outside. And I'm glad for that. Um, I've got to kind of carry that torch um, for women in leadership roles. But the reality is that it, nothing's easy. It's it's um it's tough. It can be really lonely, to be honest. Um, leadership roles, uh, a lot of times. So you've got to do your best to surround yourself by by people that um that care about you, that are going to listen to you, that let you vent a bit, um and talk through things. But at the same time, there are some just really um really challenging days. And I've started to open up more about um, my own mental health struggles this past year, and what that's um, done to me. And I'm still coming through it. It's um it's a pathway that winding it's a it's a long path and obviously we're still in a pandemic and it's it's been a challenge but um yeah I, I think it's better to just be open and honest than to say yeah it's always you know everything's always good but I do on the flip side I think I'm rather optimistic as a whole and um I'm a jokester so I like to you know it's um I like the, my sarcasm and uh kindly picking on others and just trying to make people smile I think is important for me and that kind of keeps me going well, thank you so much for sharing that with the honesty and you'll make me smile as well just with how you deal with you know with those jokes and 
getting through the day. Um, just going back to your career now, just reflecting, what have you enjoyed the most from your football career journey looking back right now? I always talk about the sense of community that it's sort of created a home for me in a lot of ways. Um, the people that I've met along the way, um, just so impactful in my life. And that's players, that's other staff, that's um, fans, you know, colleagues I've met. Um, the sense of community, and I'll speak specifically to women's soccer and the women's soccer community is so passionate. And it's cool to be surrounded with like-minded people because I'm clearly passionate about this. I like this. Um, you know, I, I chose soccer as the vehicle because it's fun. Um, for me, I have a bigger sort of mission about gender equity and that's what drives me. I realized that was my life's purpose. I just chose a really fun way to do it. I was like, okay, if I'm going to do this, let's do uh, women's soccer. That looks fun. Um, we'll go be a GM there. So um, I, I think that sense of community around women's soccer is the thing that's been, um, you know, the biggest thing that puts a smile on my face, just thinking about how supportive everybody is. And, you know, even we talked about during the pandemic, it was really hard and isolating for everybody. But as a club, we decided to shift. And our our one goal once the pandemic started, and we knew this was going to last a while, was to put a smile on people's faces. And how could we do that when we can't really see them all the time? So we started to create online events. Um, and we actually just had a, a bingo session the other night. It was really fun. You know, we go on and play bingo together. And it's amazing how I've really like intimately gotten to know a lot of the fans. Like I know what their pets' names are now. I was laughing with the staff the other day. I'm like, it's it's kind of hilarious, but it created the sense of community. And to be honest, I needed it as much as they did, I'm sure. I, I probably created this for myself, to be honest, because I was isolated at home alone. And, you know, I, I've, I've mentioned here about how I kind of went through my own mental health struggles. Having that sense of community and that joy, and it's like some days I'd be like, oh gosh, another, another Zoom event. And I'd be like dragging my feet over to the laptop. But then we do it and I'm like so happy afterwards just to have that space to like smile and joke and have fun and people bring their pets on and it's kind of this goofy thing, but we're all doing it together. And that was really heartfelt for me, but also really eye-opening that there's a lot of different ways we can create a sense of community and we don't have to feel so isolated. We have these technologies that can bring us together and we should use them for a really good purpose right now. And that's, I think, one of the positives that we've been able to bring out of this pandemic and this isolation is to continue our sense of community with the fans. Absolutely. Just to be clear, you just don't know how you're impacting them. You know, you said you went through those sort of dark periods. I have as well um, with regards to pivoting what I do. And But with regards to those bingo events, amazing. Like you just don't know what how you're helping the fans. And that, and I think that's what's, what I've really enjoyed from this conversation. And I feel like we're at a great stage where I'd like to finish with an inspirational question. Now, you've given bags of advice, particularly on the leadership side, which I always find an interesting topic. It's an area I'm sort of fascinated in at this moment with my self-development but what three tips would be would you give to graduate students who want to pursue a career in the football industry okay three tips this is good I'm, I'm I feel like I'm usually pretty consistent with these after after I say I'm long enough I've like okay I've got my three here so um the one that I always start with is um and it's a little bit of manifestation I suppose but it's speaking it into the world. So saying it out loud, what you want to do. If you know you want to be a general manager, then start saying it out loud. 
it's, it's kind of holding yourself accountable when you say something out loud that you're going to do right. Then you're like, oh, shoot, they have already said it out loud. Now I got to go do it or people are going to think I failed. So if you know what you want to do, say it out loud because you never know who along the way is going to hear you and may want to lift you up. And it may come from a really unlikely source. So I think speaking that into the world is really important. That's always my first one that I that I like to tell people. Um, the second one is to be really flexible in how you, if you want to work in sports, for example, be really flexible with how you get in the door and to not be afraid of taking those risks. And look, I understand not everybody can go volunteer for free. I get that um, from a, a sociological standpoint and otherwise that not everybody can go do that. But to just get your foot in the door you know, my first job I was offered after that free volunteerism was in ticket sales. And I was like, hell no, I'm not doing ticket sales. This is just not my personality. I'm like actually quite shy um, or used to be, I guess I would say now. Um, so it just was not an area that I was like picking up the phone and calling. That sounds terrible. But I did it because that was the job they offered. And that's what, you know, Marsha told me I was going to do. So I went and did it. And it set the foundation for everything I've ever become as a leader, as a GM, as a boss everything I learned from ticket sales, my sense of community, getting to interact with the fans. My very first season ticket holder ended up becoming, uh, you know, a lifelong friend and um, my lawyer that I go to all the time. He's my first season ticket holder. We still, when I go back to Chicago, we meet up um, and have a drink. So you just never know, you know, how that pathway is going to lead. So I say, just, just try things that are outside of your comfort zone because the learning, the growing the growing happens in that challenge zone, as they say. So I think that's the the second. Those, honestly, those are my two big things. I, I really just hone in on those, is speaking it to the world, um, putting it out there and being willing to do things that are maybe outside the box that you aren't as used to. And honestly, that's where I stick with my two tips. Um, the third is up to you. <laughs> yeah. No, let, less is more. And honestly, Elise, it's been such a pleasure chatting with you, with you, and I really do hope that people actually take those tips on board. Out of interest, how can people interact with you online? Yeah, I'm pretty active online. Um, so Twitter, um, A. LaHue, so just first initial, last name, A. LaHue. I'm also on Instagram. It used to mostly be cat photos, but um, my buddy unfortunately passed away during the pandemic. So um, I've actually shifted. I put more soccer photos there now. So same thing, it's A. LaHue, and then um, I'm on LinkedIn. If anybody wants to connect there, um, I usually peruse around on LinkedIn, but those are probably my three primary platforms. But yeah, I'm, I'm accessible. And honestly, my email is open, alahue at skybluesoccer.com. I'm always here if, if folks have questions and try to be as responsive as they can. Thank you so much. I really do hope the listeners, all those links will be on my website relating to this blog post. Elise, it's been such a pleasure chatting with you today. Thank you very much. All right, Ed, I appreciate it. Thank you. Wow, this is why I love podcasting and it's conversations like this that really inspire me and I really do hope it inspired you like speaking to Elise and learning from her journey. There are so many sports career guidance tips in there but I just want to highlight on a few. One, be flexible in what you want to do. Like What I admired the most from Elise right from the start of her career in the football industry is how she tried out all the different departments, how she didn't like doing sales, being in that sales departments and doing those phone calls. But it's those opportunities that gave her the chance to really provide her the skill sets in where she is now. Same with the coaching, same with the refereeing. If you're doing side gigs, 
and you're doing them right now relating to your sports career journey, that's normal. That's good. You're building your skill set base. Even if it's simple things like improving your communication skills, I promise you these side gigs that you're currently doing, if it's coaching, refereeing, or you're volunteering at the moment, it will support you in the long run. Like for me, at least as a role model, even for myself, as you can tell, we spoke a lot about leadership. This is actually a topic I've been exploring myself by reading different books, doing different courses to elevate my game with regards to my career development. So it's a two-way thing. I learn just as much as you listening in right now live. So it was such a pleasure to hear that journey from Elise as well. I think sometimes when we're young, we expect those big roles to happen straight away and we forget about the, the process of getting to fill in those shoes with the experience, with the toolkit of the knowledge or the skills that help us be the best version of ourselves. So on that note, I really do hope you enjoyed this podcast as much as I did. But now put those two sports career guidance tips from Elise, particularly the first one, which is talking out loud and what you want to do or what you want to achieve or which role you want to do in the sports industry, particularly with people around you who can make you accountable. So on that note, talk about what you want, make it happen and start doing it today. Now, as always, at the end of each podcast episode, I'd love to finish with an inspirational quote from my guest speaker. Elise said, know what you want, then say it out loud by speaking to the world. That provides you accountability. And then get it out there and get out your comfort zone. 